somebody would have done a different arrangement of Amazing Grace. And uh, even somebody as old as I am, who's a grandpa, would say that it was an improvement on the original. And then not too long ago, they came out with a different version of Just As I Am. And uh, those of us who are truly Baptists can remember singing number 240 in the Baptist hymnal. Now that's really testing your Baptist roots if you can remember number 240. Just As I Am has six verses in the old Baptist hymnal, number 240. And I remember one time carried a group of men down to Jimmy Hale Mission and uh, we had a guy that was a member of our church that was a preacher, he wasn't pastoring. And, uh, they didn't know I was going, so they had asked him to preach. And I said, well, what do y'all want me to do? And they said, well, you can lead the singing. And I said, well, I can do that. I led singing before. And so we led singing. That young man got up and preached and gave the invitation. And I said, well, let's sing hymn number 240, Just As I Am. Now, you may not believe this, but there were people there that night. They can testify to this. I sang pretty much a solo of Just As I Am, six verses, six times because men were coming down the aisle at Jimmy Hale Mission. Now, I want to tell you, you say, didn't you get tired? No, I tell you what, I, I love that. I love to see God working in people's lives. So, uh, but it is good that we can have new things that are good. Now, I want, I want to clear up some confusion. There's been a lot of confusion about what Bible translation does Brother Mike use and why is he not using the NIV? And I'm going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 1984, the NIV came out. I got a copy. I started looking at it. Uh, almost every time I would preach, and I was using nothing but the King James in those days because that was all I'd ever used, uh, I would find that in some places the NIV had a clearer, more easily understandable translation. And I told two of my preacher boys, Scott Bush and Brad McCain, I said, you guys need to start preaching out of the NIV. It is going to be the most popular Bible of all times, and it has been. It has far surpassed the King James Version in sales. Now, I will always love the King James. I preach every Sunday at 8 o'clock out of the King James. That is not going to change. Uh, and I did not leave the NIV. They left me. In 2002, they made a revision. And they put out a, a thing called the NRIV, the New Revised International Version. And uh, the thing didn't sell. It flopped, lost money. And so they kind of dropped it. And then in 2010, uh, the International Bible Society had originally translated the NIV, and it is a translation. It was translated from the Greek and Hebrew. But they sold the copyrights to the Zondervan Corporation. And the Zondervan Corporation told Lifeway, at that time it was called the Sunday School Board, they told Lifeway that when you renew your contract to use the NIV in your literature, uh, your fee for using the NIV was going up and it went up dramatically. In fact, it went up so dramatically that the Lifeway, the Sunday School Board, decided we can produce our own translation rather than have to pay to use the uh, NIV. If you are in the Gospel Project, and many of you are in the Gospel Project, the text in your Gospel Project books is the HCSB. It stands for Holman Christian Standard Bible. I like to call it the Hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. It was produced by Southern Baptist, and it was produced with some excellent scholars. There's an HCSB study Bible. Uh, when they reproduced what had been the 2002 NIV and, and just put a 2010 name on it and did not put another letter in it, they quit producing the 1984 NIV. The only way you can find a 1984 is to find an old one in a bookstore that hadn't been sold. They are no longer producing the 1984 NIV. I do not have the confidence 
in the 2010 NIV that I had in the 1984. And I don't do this lightly. Those of you who know me know that it, it, was, it was almost uh, an earth-shaking Red Sea parting decision when I left the King James to go to the NIV. Well, the Red Sea's parted again. And I'm going to start preaching at 9.15 and 10.45 beginning in February out of the HCSB. Do you have to buy one? No. You will not have to buy one. We will put the words on the screen as we're going to do today from the King James. Uh, I've told the folks at 8 o'clock I'm still going to use the King James, but probably the verses they'll see in the outline will come from the HCSB. And you say, why are you doing that? Because I, I told my young preacher boys to use the NIV thinking it would not be changed. And it was changed. I didn't leave them. They left me. And you, you say, well, if I've got a 2010 or 2011 NIV, is it not any good? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be cautious when you read it. Uh, I don't think they changed the spiritual meaning, but I just don't like them changing things and not making a big deal about it. They just kind of slipped it in. And uh, a lot of preachers feel the same way I do. And, and trust me, this has, this has really been a matter of prayer and seeking the Lord. And so beginning in February, I'll be preaching in 915 and 1045 from the HCSB. I hope that clears it up. Uh, I could get real technical about it, but I don't think it would help you. Just know this. If you've got a 1984 NIV, read it with confidence. If you've got a 2012 or 2011 or newer NIV, be very careful, especially when you come to the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. I think that's the, the red letter thing for me, really got to me. In the red letter Bible, when you get to John 3, 16, uh, most red letter Bibles, in fact, every red letter Bible except the new NIV, puts those John 3, 16, and the verses right after that in red letters, because I believe they're the words of Jesus. The 2010, 2011 NIV put those words in black, indicating they believe those are the words of John, the beloved author of the gospel, John, not Jesus. You say, what difference does that make? It makes a lot of difference. John, I believe John, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and when he spoke with the Holy Spirit, that's okay. But I believe those are Jesus. I believe Jesus said, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. I, believe, I don't believe that was a commentary by John, even though it would have been filled with the Holy Spirit if it had been. You say, that's just a little thing. Well, there are other things, pronouns about man and mankind and things like that. I don't want to go into all the details, but just trust me. This is not an easy decision, and it's not one I make lightly, but I think it's a decision that I need to make right now because I want you to have confidence. Uh, and if you have a King James, you're fine. Uh, if you have a HCSB, that's fine. In fact, the only two Bibles I don't recommend are the RSV and now the 2010 and newer NIV. Those are the only two Bibles I don't recommend. The New American Standard is probably the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew. It's just a little difficult to understand in English. Well, that's enough Bible lessons. You don't want that. Uh, I probably bored you to death, but I want you to know, uh, some of you have been saying, what? why has Brother Mike gone back to the King James? Well, I love the King James. It was, it was the Bible I was weaned on. And I'll always love it. To me, it's the most beautiful translation. But it can be difficult to understand at times. But not in this passage today. It's very plain. Let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the Living God from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. About a year ago, I went to, the, uh, to Lifeway, and I walked in, and, and uh, as I walked in, I noticed they had a rack there, and they had a book that said $5. Well, my wife has put me on a book diet. If you saw my library, you would know why my wife has put me on a book diet. And, of course, like everything else, I get off my other diet, so I got off my book diet. And I looked at this book, and at first I thought, well, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen because the title is not a fan, but there's not, they're not in capital letters. I've never seen a book that didn't have the title in capital letters. And I picked it up and started thumbing through it, and I became intrigued by it. And I said, well, it's worth five bucks to see what this is all about. So I came home, and I started reading it, and I could not put it down. It was written by a young man named Kyle Eidelman. Kyle is the teaching pastor at the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And it came, this book came out of an experience he had. He went to the sanctuary, and their sanctuary is much larger than ours. It is a mega, mega, mega church there in Louisville and has been for several years. And Kyle, I think, is like the third pastor of that church. And so he was sitting there, a young man. He probably was not out of his 20s when this happened. He came and sat in the dark sanctuary on the Thursday before Easter Sunday. And he came because he said, I want to have something to give these people on Sunday. And he started thinking about that. And he said, we'll have big crowds. We'll have the parking lot will be crowded and the pews will be crowded and people have guests with them. And, and he said, I really want to preach a great sermon. And he said, I just want to give them a spellbinding sermon. And I, I just want to make them glad they came to our church that Sunday. And then he said, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. And the Holy Spirit began to say, what do you think Jesus would say to these people on Sunday? He said, well, I, I, let me look and see what Jesus said. And he, and he looked in the Bible, and here's what he found out. He found out that when Jesus was healing people and feeding people and doing signs and wonders and miracles, the great crowds came and they flocked. In fact, there were places when, when people couldn't even get in. You remember the story where they had to cut a hole in the roof and let a man down because so many people were there hearing Jesus speak. And, and those were the, the halcyon days of Jesus' ministry where everybody came to hear him. But then in Jesus' ministry, there marked a difference. And that difference happens in Luke around the ninth chapter. Happens in Matthew a little later than that. But Jesus began to set his face to go toward Jerusalem. And his preaching became more pointed. And his preaching became more narrow. And this is where we find this text today in Matthew. He began to tell people, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die. And sitting there in that dark sanctuary, Kyle Eidelman realized there are going to be a lot of people in this church on Sunday who are fans of Jesus, but they're not followers. Now, part of that is maybe a generational thing. We have all kinds of generations in this church. In fact, even on our staff, we have all kinds of generations. Brother Paul is our senior staff member in age. Uh, Brother Paul is exactly 10 years older than I am. We were both born in May. I was born in May 1948, and Brother Paul was born in May 1938. And Brother Paul, I want you to know that you just barely squeezed in, but you are in what people have called the 
greatest are the building generation. Uh, those are people who were born before or, and during World War II. If you were born during the war, you're part of that generation. Uh, beginning in 1946, my generation started. I'm, I'm a baby boomer. Many of you are baby boomers. For years, we could boast that we were the largest generation ever produced. People coming back from war started having children. Many of them had large families. And so the 1950s, 1960s was a, a time of rapid family growth in America. So we have the, the building generation, the greatest generation. Then we have the baby boomers. And then those born after the baby boomers, that, starting about 1960 to going to about 1980, are called the baby busters. And, uh, and I'm, I didn't make up these names, folks. So don't look at me if you're mad. And I'll say, I don't want to be a baby buster. We'll make up some other name for yourself, all right? And then we have a generation that's come on now called the millennials. And, and because I am in the baby booming generation and Brother Paul is in our, our building generation, uh, they're trying to teach Brother Paul, the staff's trying to teach Brother Paul and I about these new generations. And, and this millennial generation, if you were born between 1980 and 2000, raise your hand. Just right now, if your birthday is between 1980 and 2000, raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Some of you that were born during that time didn't raise your hand. And you know why? It's because you're part of the millennial generation. And you don't want to raise your hand, you don't raise your hand. Now, you know, if I gave a snicker bar to everybody that raised their hand, you'd raise your hand right now and say, I want to be in that generation. But, uh, but that, this generation has got some different ideas. They've got different ideas about denominations. Uh, when I was born, if you were a Baptist, you were pretty much a Baptist for life. You would not think of going to a church that didn't have Baptist in the name of it. Now we have a lot of Baptist churches that took, have taken Baptist out of the name because there's not a lot of denominational. And listen to me, folks. God does not care about denominations. You say, you're the, you were the past president of the Alabama Baptist Convention, and you just said God doesn't, God doesn't care about denominations. God cares about your heart. You're not going to get in heaven because you are a Baptist. If you think you will, you won't. Listen to me. Don't stand in front of heaven. Open that golden pearly gate. I'm a Baptist. I'm coming in. I got news for you. You won't even get to the gate. You'll be somewhere, but it won't be at a pearly gate, and you won't like where you're at. Listen, folks, being saved is not about denominations. Being saved is not about church attendance. Kyle Eidelman realized a lot of those people that came to church on Easter Sunday were coming not really to worship Jesus and to bow down before him and call him Lord. They were just coming Maybe it was a family thing. Maybe it was a holiday thing. But he decided he was going to preach a message that day on following Jesus. And that's where the book, Not a Fan, comes from. I love the prologue. And by the way, when you buy this book, please read the prologue. Many of us don't read prologues. But in fact, if you open the book, it said prologue. Even if you don't normally read this, read this one. And you need to. From the prologue, he says, if you're a follower of Jesus... He says, for you to become a follower, he says, I will talk more about repentance than forgiveness, more about surrender than salvation, more about brokenness than happiness, and more about death than life. Because those are marks of a follower of Jesus. And Jesus gives us these right here in Matthew. He gives us these also in Luke. That's the passage Kyle Eidelman used. But I, I chose Matthew because it's virtually the same thing. And, and notice that these indeed are the words of Jesus. Notice who he said them to. Then said Jesus who? Unto his 
disciples. This is not just said to the world in general. This is said to his disciples. This is said to people who are already following him. And notice the very first word. There's the condition of following Jesus. He says, if. Now, that's a big word. It's a little word in English, but that clause is a, is a conditional clause in Greek. And it has a lot of importance. And so Jesus is saying here, there's a decision for you to make. And if you decide to follow me, here's what you're going to have to do. The reason it carries so much weight in Greek is we don't see it in English. But he's saying, unless you do these things, you cannot be my follower. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. The word disciple comes from the Latin word disco, which means to teach. And a disciple is one who has learned from another. Uh, the, Jesus taught that if our relationship with him was based on his terms and not ours, to follow Jesus means to renounce all other relationships as subservient to knowing and following him. Now, I know that the millennials don't like that, but I want to tell you this. The gospel is not going to change for the millennials. The gospel is the gospel, whether millennials want to believe it, whether they want to follow Jesus or not, that's the condition. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow him absolutely. You have to follow him as Lord. Not just say he's my Lord and Savior, but you have to follow him as Lord. And that's, that's a condition there. You say, well, what if I just want to be saved and I don't want him to be my Lord? There's no sense of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ unless he is Lord. If he's not Lord, he's not Savior. If he's Savior, he must be Lord. That's the condition. I don't want you to be confused about that. Don't leave here today thinking, well, you know, I can go to heaven. I can just go to church on Sunday and get baptized and go to Sunday school and, and, and then uh, read my Bible. And then when I die, I'll go to heaven. I want to tell you, you go to heaven because you have turned from your sin. You've repented of it. You've called Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord. You've been affiliated with him. You've been marked with him by baptism into his body, and you follow him daily. It is a daily decision. So there's the condition of following Jesus. But then there are commands of following Jesus. And the first one he gives is self-denial. By the way, before I move off that first point, let me say this. Some of you guys are saying, wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying I ought to be uh, more closely aligned to Jesus than I am my wife? Absolutely. The day we got married, I told Mary, I said, honey, I want you to know this. I will always love you, and I'll always strive to make you happy, but you're not number one in my life, and you're not ever going to be. But I'll do my best to make sure you're number two to Jesus Christ. I said that on the day we got married over 40, 40 years ago, and I mean it more today than I did that day. I love her, but I love Jesus more. And I, I love this church, but I love Jesus more. I've loved being your pastor for 33 years. But I'll tell you this. If Jesus were to say to me right now, your work at Pelham is over, you're done. There's a little broken down church down here. It's not even at the crossroads. It's back on a dirt road. And it's got weeds growing up in it. And I want you to resign that church today. And I want you to go to that little church. And I want you to dust off the piano and let Mary start playing that piano next Sunday. And you kind of fix up the church and invite people to come. I will tell you what, I'd be a fool not to do that because he is my Lord. Amen. And whatever he tells me to do, I must do. And if that's true for the preachers, true for the people in the pew as well. 
We need to learn to follow Jesus. And the first thing he says is self-denial. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. I love what John MacArthur said about that. He says, first then, you come to Christ denying yourself. And that means you take Christ on his terms, not yours. The proud sinner wants Christ and his covetousness, Christ and his immorality. But you don't get him on those terms. And then once you've come to Christ, Jesus is saying here it becomes a way of life to deny yourself. A happy way of life, admittedly, is it not? For I'm not happy when myself acts. I'm happy when the Spirit of God acts in me. Joy comes to me in obedience in holiness. Now that comes from self-denial. Now this generation does not like that. My generation doesn't like it. I'll be honest with you, Brother Paul, your generation doesn't like that. Because what does that mean? It means to deny ego, to deny myself first place, to, to deny me. And that's hard to do. And, and it, is, it is something that we have to do individually. I can't do it for Mary. Mary can't do it for me. You can't do it for your kids. It is an act of self-denial. But then secondly, there's discipleship, there's submission. He says to take up his cross. And in Luke, Luke puts it this way, take up his cross daily. Now, I want to tell you something. Some people have a misconception of what it means to take up your cross. Some people think that means the physical problems you have. Uh, Blair has some physical problems. I know he doesn't mind me talking about that. But but, But Blair, those physical problems aren't your cross. My wife was out of town on Thursday. She had to go to a teacher's meeting. And I had a doctor's appointment down in Hoover with my dermatologist. You know what that woman did to me? She sat me down. She started looking at all these spots on my arms and on my head. And she took a thing that looked like a blowtorch. And she said, I'm going to freeze these places, preacher. And man, she started freezing places. And she froze places on my head and on my face. And then she said, wait, there's a place right here I can't freeze. Are you allergic to lidocaine? I said, I don't think so. She stuck lidocaine in my cheek. And then that woman came at me with a knife. And she cut that sucker off. And she said, I'm going to buy up, saying if it comes back positive, you're going to have to go somebody else, they're going to cut you deeper. And you say, well, Brother Knight, that's just your cross. No, that's not my cross to bear. That's because when I was young and stupid, I didn't use sunblock. Now, that, that has nothing to do with my cross. What is the cross? The cross is an instrument of death. And when you take up that cross, you die. How do you die? First of all, you die to self. You have to not only deny yourself, you have to then die to self. No longer wanting to do what I want to do, not only wanting what I want, but wanting what Jesus wants for me. Why in the world, why in the world would Brian and Liv Meany leave a comfortable life here with relatives who love them and a church that loves them and loves to hear Liv sing? and, and, And I'm not... Down in, and Brian has a health problem. Brian has diabetes and has to have insulin. The insulin has to be uh, cooled all the time, has to be refrigerated. And where's the worst place in the world to go where refrigeration is not? Africa. Why would they do that? Because God told them to. God said to them, die to self and go to Africa. That's why they're there. They're, they're not there. They're not there for glory. You think it's glory over there? Then you need to go and you need to see the work firsthand. It's hot dirty work. And the people they're working with sometimes don't appreciate what they do. 
Now, sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And they've got to always be conscientious. But that ought to be true of every one of us. We ought to die to self. And let me tell you this, though. When you die to self, it's easier to die to sin. Because when you die to self, the devil can't claim you anymore. And when you're dead to self and sin comes knocking at your door, you just need to send Jesus to the door. That's all you need to do. You say, well, are you telling me that if I die to self, I won't ever be tempted? Oh, no. When you die to self, the devil is going to try to get you to resurrect yourself. The devil's going to try to get you not to be a living. There's one thing wrong with a living sacrifice. It can crawl off the altar. And that's what the devil's. Oh, man, you don't want to do that. Listen, you die to self, you die to sin, and thirdly, you die to society. Now, there are a lot of things this society condones that I cannot condone. There are a lot of things people do today as Christians that I don't believe are right. I'll never understand how two people who say they love Jesus can move in together and live together without being married. I'll never understand that. Now, a lot of churches just don't ever talk about that. But folks, I want to tell you, it may be all right out there for those folks, but I want to tell you, if you know Jesus, he has a better plan for you, and that better plan does not mean shacking up with somebody you're not married to. You say, well, preacher, you're preaching. I want to tell you why I'm preaching. Because this is the gospel. If the gospel doesn't change us, how can it change the world? And that's the problem with most churches today. We've had just enough gospel to make us immune to the real thing. Jesus said there's going to be many people in that day. Now, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said there's going to be many saying that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? And you know what Jesus is going to say to them? I never knew you think there'll be preachers there that day? I guarantee you there will be. You think there'll be teachers there that day? I guarantee you there will be. There'll be deacons. There'll be elders. There'll be all kinds of people that will stand there that day and they say, Lord, look what we did. We gave all this money to the church. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did on the cross and your relation to him as a follower and your death to self, death, to sin, and death to society. I'm not worried about same-sex marriage. And I want to tell you this, if you ever worry about your pastor doing a same-sex marriage ceremony, you can just stop worrying about it right now. You say, what if they put you in jail? Hallelujah. I'll go to jail. There's been other preachers. Paul went to jail. John Bunyan they wrote the Pilgrim's Progress went to jail. I'll go to jail if I have to. But I want to tell you this. I will not deny my Lord by doing something that he would not approve of. Because I want to die to self, to sin, and to society. So there's self-denial, there's submission, and then there's surrender. He says, and follow me. Taking up your cross and dying daily and then following him. By the way, when you follow him, you have no rights. You know, every now and then... I've heard of church fusses. We had not had a church fuss in a long time. I pray we don't ever have another one. Nothing is a worse witness to the world than Christians who don't get along. And I, you say, well, are you pleased with everything in this church? No, I'm not. You say, what? well, tell me what you're not. Well, I'm not pleased that not everybody is a soul winner. I'm not pleased that not everybody goes on a mission trip. I'm not pleased that not everybody tithes. I'm not pleased that not everybody goes to Sunday school. 
There's a lot of things in this church that don't please me, but I'm not out to get this church to please me. I want this church to please God. And that's the main thrust of my ministry. I want to tell you, if we really get serious about discipleship, it will not only change us, it will change this church, and this church will change this community, and this community will change this county, and this county will change our state, and this state could change our country. And we can impact other countries by sending missionaries, but we have to start at home. I have no rights as a Christian. When I became a Christian, I signed all my rights away. I don't own anything. Everything I have was given to me from God and will go back to God. I don't own anything. I have no rights. I have no right of refusal. If God told me to do something, I must do it. And you say, well, why do you want us to go on a mission trip? Listen, I'm not saying you have to go on a mission trip. I'm saying you need to pray about going on a mission trip. God may not send you on a mission trip, but he may tell you you help somebody else go, or you pray for them while they're gone. But Mike, I can imagine what would happen in this church if I could get everybody here to go on one mission trip. Now, Brother John's been on a bunch of mission trips, and he's planned mission trips and works hard at mission trips. And Brother John and everybody else, Brother Sam, all, Brother Paul, who takes the senior else, will tell you the reason we send people on mission trips is not so we can change the world, but so we get changed on that mission trip, and we do what God wants us to do. Folks, I want to tell you, we need to understand we have no rights, no refusal. But I want to tell you, when you live that way, you have no regret. You have no, if I were to die today... I'd be a happy man. I'd be a happy man. Why? Because I'd be with my Lord. The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's the condition of following Jesus, the commands of following Jesus. And now look at this, the completion. And he tells us here what's going to happen. He tells us the end of the story right here. He said, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. First of all, he said he's going to return. He said, I'm going to come back. I'm coming back. He's not going to send somebody. He's coming back himself. And I want to tell you, when you see him, you'll know him because you'll be like him. That's what the Bible says. So he's going to say, well, preacher hadn't come. It's been a long time. What did he mean about there are people standing there that won't, won't taste death till they see the kingdom of God? Well, if you keep reading down here, you'll see that just a few days later, he went on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there they beheld his glory. So he's talking about Peter, James, and John who were standing there when he said that. They beheld his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they didn't die until they saw that. But we'll see that one day. Not only is he returning, notice that it's going to be a regal return. He's going to come in the glory of his Father and with his angels. Now, you think you've seen some pageants in your time. You think you've seen some some mighty things in your time. But you've never seen anything until the King of kings and Lord of lords comes down from heaven and sits on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. That's going to be a wonderful time. But then notice this. Then he shall reward every man. There are two books that I'm concerned about. Now the first one I don't worry about. The first one is the book of life. You say, how do you know your name is there? Because in 1964, I denied myself. I took up a cross, and I began to follow Jesus, and I'm still following him. And when I did that in 1964, God in indelible ink wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if I had died at 17 or 18 or at 50 or yesterday, 
I'd be in heaven, not because of me, but because of Jesus. But there's another book, and it's got Mike Shaw. And there are a lot of Mike Shaws. I know three other Mike Shaws. I am friends with Mike Shaw on Facebook. Now, some of y'all think you need counseling real bad. No, he's the other Mike Shaw, and I'm the real Mike Shaw. By the way, I am the original. I found that I'm even older than the other Mike Shaw that I know about. And by the way, I know four because he has a son he named Mike Shaw. But there's a book in heaven. That's the book of the works of Mike Shaw for Jesus Christ. Now, not just the works of Mike Shaw, because Mike Shaw's done a lot of work that really wasn't for Jesus Christ. But he's keeping a book on the works that I've done. And the Bible says, when we stand before him, the books will be opened. It says that in Revelation. I've read it. The books will be opened, and another book will be opened. Folks, here's the question today. Number one, are you sure your name's in that Lamb's book? If it's not, we're going to give an invitation in a minute. And don't walk down this aisle. Run down this aisle. Crawl down this aisle. Get down this aisle and tell somebody, I need to trust Jesus today. I need to be saved. I want to make sure that I know that I know that I know my name's in the book of life. Number two, what's under that book that says David Coram? What's under that book that says John Jones? What's under that book that says Neil Blackwell or Debbie Blackwell or Bob and Peggy Cleveland? What's in that book? God knows and you know. And one day it'll be revealed. No regrets if you live for Jesus. Do you know him? Are you serving him? Are you more than just a fan? Too many people that go to church every Sunday. And people go to church by the thousands. But Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. He won't say that if your name's in the book. And there is a book with your name on it. Even if you're lost, there's a book he's keeping on lost people for what they do. And those books will be opened. I hope your name's in the book of life. And I hope that book of works is filled with deeds done for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts right now. Lord, I may be speaking to people who are fans of Jesus, but they've never really followed him. And Father, I pray that whether it's a teenager, a little boy, a little girl, a man, a lady, a senior adult, a median adult, a young adult, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that they would really think, is my name written in that Lamb's Book of Life? And what is written in that other book, the book with my name on it, the book of the works that I've done for my Lord who gave his life for me? Father, help us to leave here tonight, not, not just as fans, but as totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. And may we follow you faithfully until you come for us or call us home in Jesus' name.